This is Limitless Possibility. I'm Yannick Magnel. And I'm Luc Olivier Dumablé. And our topic this week is... My Renewed Photographic Journey Part 2. Awesome. Uh, but first, we have some follow-up. A year ago on the show, I mentioned that I had pre-ordered a playdate. Uh, and one, basically my playdate order was part of the first batch, and there have been numerous events that have happened with Panic over the last <laughs> year that have caused multiple delays of the playdate uh, hardware, all of them very justifiable, I must say. Um, Th- this is quite the euphemism you just said, by the way. Uh, yeah. So... <laughs> Uh, well, I, I've seen video games that have been delayed for way more than the Playdate was, so... Fair point, fair point. For the business, it's not that bad. Um, but uh, yeah, so my uh, Playdate is currently being shipped. Uh, so Ooh, shipped? Ooh. Well, it, okay. it, the shipment is in preparation. Uh, oh, so okay. within the next week or so, I should... Uh, it should actually be shipped, so that's super interesting. Uh, so I just wanted to bring it up again because I wanted to... I wanted people to have that in mind again. Uh, it's something to look forward to in future programming. I'm not quite sure exactly when I'm going to do it because I believe the first season of Playdate Games is 12 games released over 12 weeks or something to that effect. Uh, so probably like add 12 weeks to whenever I receive it. And that's probably when the episode is going to be so I can talk about all the Playdate games. Oh, right. Because of the delay, that hasn't, that hasn't started yet. Yeah. As soon as people oh. start receiving their things, uh, people are going to start getting their season of games. So that'll be very exciting. Uh, so I'm excited to actually like take place in that sort of joint experience with other Playdate owners. Uh, but I also can't wait to actually talk about it on the show as well, because I'm super curious what's going on there. So... Next point is some follow-up for episode 111 on the Ginza Shibuya Axis, which was this whole uh, episode where we were talking about uh, basically like luxury consumer electronics versus uh, more pop fashion-y consumer electronics. And this week, for reasons that will become clear in a little bit, uh, I found a channel on YouTube called the Sony Commercial Archive, which is a channel that has uploaded a bunch of compilation videos of late 90s Sony consumer electronics commercials archived from Japanese TV. Uh, And I learned a lot of really cool things about the Sony Bio that we're not going to talk about today. Um, But a few of these commercials were for the MD Walkman's Summer Collection, which was literally mini-disc players released in a fashion collection during one summer in, I think it was like 1997 or something. Uh, So this is actually proof that Sony did what I thought they were doing all along, which is they were actually treating their consumer electronics releases as like fashion collections, which is wild Hmm. when you think about it. And it it really fits into the theme of that whole episode. Uh, It's one of my favorite episodes that I've ever done on the show. So go listen to it if you haven't heard it, if you're a relatively new listener. Uh, But I I found it really like validating that basically I found proof that, yeah, actually, this is how they saw things internally as well. Next up, uh, to justify why I was looking at Sony commercials, I have some follow-up for episode 166 on the Sony Minidisc, uh, which is that uh, this past week I finally caved and I ended up buying a Minidisc recorder. It is a Sony MZR900. I am holding it right here. That's me taking the disc out of it and putting it back in and clicking it back in. So I did see pictures of this just before recording, uh, but you were not next to it, so I assume it was a real picture, not one 
that came from the interwebs? No, but, it's mine. Uh, it's my, okay, it's my picture. Uh, the MZR900 is the flagship model uh, mini disc recorder from the year 2000, which I think is kind of the best period to get a mini disc uh, recorder from. Uh, it's certainly like around the peak of mini disc in Japan, and it was the first portable recorder to support MDLP format, which were like uh, the next generation compression that allowed for twice and four times the uh, the length to be stored on a mini disc. So that's real fun. I just got it a few hours ago, so I haven't done much with it. I recorded an album onto uh, the blank mini disc I have, and uh, the volume level was incredibly low to the point that it was barely audible, and I thought it didn't work. Uh, but it, that's my fault. Uh, so I'm still figuring it out. <laughs> uh, but that is probably also going to be uh, something to look forward to in future podcast programming, just to give everyone a big tease. Uh, but yeah, I am finally a cool mini disc boy. Uh, and uh, it's great to be living in the year 2000 again. Congrats. I'm I'm pretty excited to uh, see it in person at some point soon. It's it's smaller than I expected. And it's been mm. like a really long time. It's basically been since Minidisc has been popular, well, quote, popular here, uh, <laughs> that I've seen a Minidisc uh, player in person. And this thing is fucking tiny. I was like shocked when I got it out of the box, but it was really cool. And uh, yeah, yeah, and the remote is really tiny too. And the remote is cool, and it has the Indigo backlight. It's really cool. I love all that stuff. So I'm gonna have a lot of fun in the next few weeks uh, messing around with that. And I've got other blanks coming on the way uh, from the United States as well. Right, and you were telling me offline that those blanks are new stocks too. Uh, the the ones I got this week are uh, old new stock or new old stock. Basically, they they were yeah, in yeah, the okay. wrapping completely. Uh, the other blanks that I have on the way are just used. Uh, oh, they're from Daiso, the uh, dollar store brand in Japan. I was like, oh, the oh. dollar store had mini discs. I need to have some of these. <laughs> so <laughs> those are on the way for me. Uh, and like one of the things I've mentioned a couple times is that. On eBay, uh, some Japanese sellers have these giant boxes of like 200 used mini discs. And what I found out basically is that these boxes of mini discs are basically like people had lost their mini disc players on a train or something and they had a lost and found and they got all the discs and they put them all in a box and they sell them on eBay. I really want one of those boxes because I, there's going to be a bunch of really cool shit to listen to probably in those boxes. The problem is still can't order anything from Japan. So that sucks. Uh, but oh, if, really? if I could, I would. Yeah. It's good that you remind me of this, Uh-oh. by the way. Uh, remind me when we talk about hardware later. Oh God! Okay. What are you doing? I I'm very <laughs> concerned now. <laughs> no, no, don't, don't don't be concerned. Don't be concerned. Okay. Uh, well, let's take a break from mini disc and talk about Gran Turismo very quick. Uh, so as I mentioned on the previous episode, I made a video about Gran Turismo Seven. It it will be up by the time you hear this. Right now, it's currently available to supporters only. Uh, it's called Gran Turismo Seven is all vibe no substance, and it's basically a 17 minute summary of my thoughts on the subject uh, from the podcast we did a couple weeks ago. Uh, the podcast was three hours long; it was hard to convince people to listen to the whole thing. Uh, so I thought maybe make a little more condensed video, and I got it down to like 16 minutes something, and it was good enough. Uh, I've gotten a lot of really good 
feedback from everyone who's seen it so far. Uh, so it seems to be pretty good. I've watched it like a dozen times and I really like it. So I think it came out pretty good. It did. And I felt betrayed a bit because A, it's good. And B, it greatly summarizes our three hour, event, our three hour episode in two 16 minutes. But, uh, I would suggest that, uh, people watch our, rem- uh, listen to our rambling because that's also good too. It's, it's also pretty good. It's kind of different different I things uh like i i think to some people they're gonna be like really you're talking about like the menu before the game actually starts and the settings you have there like <laughs> for some people it's a little bit overkill and i just wanted to get to the point real quick uh so i i seem to have done that pretty effectively uh, us not going getting to the point quickly come <laughs> on it's not us oh uh, another thing that has come out in the last two weeks is there is now a glitch that has been found to get 24 roulettes a day by abusing time zone changes. Uh, as far as I know, this hasn't been patched out yet, so you can still go do it. Uh, basically, if you change the system time zone, and I think this might only be possible on PS5 because I don't think you can manually change the date and time on PS4. Uh, if you change the time zone, uh, it resets daily marathon progress, which means if you drive another like 43 kilometers again, you will get another roulette. So you still have to do the driving for each of those uh, time zone changes, but it means you can grind for 24 roulettes a day instead of just getting one, which is a lot more money uh, overall. Uh, if Even if you like get unlucky on a couple of them, you don't get completely burnt. So that's kind of cool. Can you define what you mean getting unlucky? Because I don't feel that lucky every time I get a, a roulette ticket. Well, okay, you're unlucky most of the time when you do roulette tickets, but it adds up with aggregate. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay, fair. Okay, fair. And then uh, before the show, uh, before we started recording the show, I sent you a link to a YouTube video from the Car Prime YouTube channel. And I want to share this to other people because I am really into this channel now that I know that it exists, and especially this show. Uh, it's a show called Vintage Times on the Car Prime channel. And Car Prime is a Japanese YouTube channel, but they apparently have an English channel as well where they translate all the videos. And basically, Vintage Times is kind of like if you made an hour-long program out of a GT Cafe segment, that's kind of what it is. Uh, it features uh, retired professional race drivers who just hang around and talk about old cars. And it's really interesting. Uh, so I'm going to put a link in the show notes to the video that I sent you, which is uh, the one about the Nissan Silvias. Uh, I was watching that while eating earlier, and it's just super interesting. Uh, so if you wish that uh, GT Cafe was uh, longer and explained more about cars, then maybe you can get some enjoyment out of this series. Uh, and big thanks to Victor who posted that on the select button thread uh, about cars because it was a really good find. Last bit of follow-up before we get into the actual topic is some follow-up that you sent me. Uh, it's about our last episode about the Olympics, which is that CBC is going to remain Canada's home for the Olympics through 2032. Uh, so four more Olympic games have been tacked on to the CBC's uh, current uh, ongoing contract or whatever to uh, handle Olympic broadcasting here in Canada. So uh, fingers crossed that this means they're going to take Olympic streaming more seriously, but probably not. <laughs> yeah, I was quite happy to see that for you because... Hopefully, it was resolving one of the issues you were saying in the last episode, which was usually they would get the investment for maybe for Olympic uh, games and which more or less eight years, and then they would just get dropped after. And it seems that for a long time, 
I don't dare I say do I recall watching the Olympics not on CBC slash Radio Canada. I don't think I do. I think in so, French it's always been on Radio Canada. On in in English, I think um, I vaguely think like once or twice maybe there was a CTV olympics that i may have seen but yeah i have like no memory of which games those were it's that far back <laughs> yeah yeah no I, my memories are it but for sure in the last 10-15 years i don't recall having it uh, seen in other uh, broadcast channels so um and quick note cbc and uh, radio canada are literally the uh canadian uh broadcasting company something like that CBC, yeah. So I think, the, I think the it's state corporation, or maybe not. Yes. No, not corporation. I'm gonna go. They're they're more or less our, our state network. Let's put it this way. Yes, that yeah, it's corporation. Uh, and yeah, they are the national broadcaster. So that's it for me. You had some follow up, though. I heard. I do have a quick item, which is also a teaser because I'm sure we'll have uh, multiple occasions in the coming years to talk about that. Oh but, wow. Uh, it, why you say oh wow it's true uh but yannick is quite proud of me i would i, I would uh qualify it as such so um there's a long story that i want to explain in the fog section because that i'm sure will also make for when i give maybe a six months or a year uh ownership update but i got rid of my focus rs uh last month and we replaced it with uh subaru outback wilderness welcome so, to the family yes i am officially the only limbo member part of the subaru family uh because <laughs> hey, i do on. have a subaru <laughs> but uh, you're always gonna be a uh, honorary member uh but now at least you, when i go to, to see you in trois and i'm not uh driving the porsche which is also out of the hibernation uh, i will be able to come pick you up in a subaru car might not be an Impreza, but at least it's a subaru Absolutely wonderful. It continues the trend of people who originally make fun of me for loving Subaru eventually ending up buying a Subaru, uh, which is very, very validating for me as a non-car person. Well, I would like to note that while I was making fun of you of loving Subaru, I was not making fun of your love of Subaru. I was making fun of oh, you know. loving Subaru as uh, a non-car owner. That was a, there's a big difference for my case. Here. It's true. But like my brother did the same thing and he also ended up buying a Subaru. Oh, I see. I see. So, so yes, it's so, a trend. And maybe the, the small teaser that will for sure come when I talk about the episode is uh it is the first car that uh, Tony and I uh shopped around together, so it was fun and he's also pretty excited about this one too. So it's kind of fun to see Tony having really fun and being excited <laughs> to drive and uh enjoy the car. So that's pretty nice too for the whole family here on my side of things. Good. So that concludes follow-up for this week. Let's jump into the main topic. So you might be remembering, it's like, yeah, it's been a while since the guys have talked about photography. And yes, it has been a while. It has been more or less six day, six months to the spot. Uh, and it is literally part two of that episode. So I am referring to episode 169, uh, Vinyl Moment, which literally when we're discussing about some of my renewed journey into Morgan, I'll say it this way, getting in shape back, getting back in shape in photography is what I've tried to do in the last six months. I think one of my main motivation was, uh, to kind of kill some, uh, 
I'll say pulse of maybe tr like trying to buy hardware, but also kind of preparing for uh, future moments where it was it was going to be a bit more easier to travel and do more of the typical photography journey that I would do in the past. Uh, of course, referring for past pandemic times. So. When I'm less stuck at home or just around my neighborhood, I'll have uh, more uh, occasion to grab pictures of things around me. So I want to be better at doing that and also improve my skills so I feel that I struggle less. Uh, so in the last episode where we discussed this, I was channeling more or less three things I would like to improve on. So, or not improve on, but uh, things I would like to do to improve my skills. And those two, three things are, the first big two are lessons, whether they are online or offline, uh, whether they're group, in group, per, like in-person group lessons or private lessons. Um, I wanted to put myself into more, let's call it photography events. So it's more events where I would force myself to bring the camera with me. And I say force kind of strongly here. Let's not kid ourselves. Uh, but I also had some uh, good opportunity to take pictures. Like, for example, my in-laws uh, got married. So uh, I had to, not I had to, but I was the official photographer for this event, which was pretty fun too. And I dabble a bit into photography organization, uh, a topic I still am lazy at and I suck <laughs> at, but at least I tried some of the tips we discussed. So I want to kind of go back into this. And I have a small nugget I want to keep for the end of the episode because it wouldn't be a photo limipo episode without talking about some nice photo of camera hardware. So let's start with the lesson section. So when I opened the, when I decided to renew my energy and make sure that I would get into my skills, it, it was like in October and winter was coming. So I kind of knew that, well, there's nothing blocking me to go outside and take pictures. I'm not the biggest winter person. So I put a lot of energy into finding great lessons I could watch and I have a kind of a steady stream, I should say. And it's kind of funny because that went well for more or less of October, but I ended up more or less quitting doing that, mainly for two or three points. I kind of felt that, hey, it was fun, but something I was worried about uh, that I mentioned in episode 169 really happened is while at least the online lessons I found, uh, they were interesting, I felt that it was hard to translate my learnings into a motivation or a force excuse to train myself or just to use the learnings I've learned. And maybe it's because, again, I don't think it's problematic for the lesson I watched. I mentioned it was on LinkedIn learnings. I think the content of them, and I still have a lot of them in my watch list, but I think it's maybe I'm, I was looking for a different style where having homework to be done. And I really consider it homework as I want to try to improve, let's say, my focusing skills. Um, and I want to, I don't know, we decide to do a focus exercise on portrait picture. Uh, I'm spitballing. That was not an ex a real example that I've did, but just for the sake of imagery here. Uh, but let's say we... Uh, 
watching a session about that, which is pretty, uh, pretty pointy. But the idea is I would like to, you know what, like try a couple of techniques, make mistakes, and then get the picture and try to process what happened when I was taking the pictures so that I can learn from those mistakes and improve later on. So the online answers were pretty great uh, for getting a lot of knowledge back. And that was one of the goals too I had was to say, you know what? I am dangerous enough with the foundation of more, I'll call it modern, but I mean digital photography. Uh, but the reason I say I'm dangerous enough is because I know some, but I don't always know how to apply those concepts in my art or how to diverge from those concepts to make a photography be an art. So I would do things, maybe I would try to get too much bokeh in my picture and that wouldn't make sense for the the subject I was trying to uh, capture. Or I another example was I would struggle with... Uh, properly capturing light and it's a good important thing with photography it's like why am i taking a picture with such settings and it is not translating to the light gathering impact that i wanted to have on the the picture and things like that so while it was fun to watch people like give me tips and tricks um I felt that it was not the motivation I needed to kind of go apply them. And that's kind of where I uh, continued trying to figure out a place uh, or a moment to have some like in life uh, lessons, because I think I was missing these aspects where I would like to share with others. And you might say that it's related to uh, being a bit isolated. And then I won't lie, you know, <laughs> like, uh, it's fun to share passion things with others and I'm doing with Yannick daily on uh, our, our private uh, slacker on a private line room. But I think I was also in need of more direct feedback when I was making those mistakes. And one concept that I really, not really enjoy, but I'm sure I will really enjoy because sadly, six months after, I still haven't experienced it are really group lessons or group outings where um, where you would go with a photography group from from any social network. Uh, <laughs> and here in Quebec, it would be Facebook groups, but more on that later. Uh, or some, photo some local photography store in your community that might offer such stores, such activities. Uh, those near me the, the one i was really interested to attend uh add topics around what i would like to not exactly improve my skills but they were around environment that i like to capture photography with so one example was street photography and my thinking with that is while you can do street photography in your own neighborhood it is one type of one style of photography that you do end up doing quite a lot when you visit other cities mm -hmm. and it's one of the types of trips i do enjoy whether there it's like you need to fly to go see a city or on a road trip too and uh as a car nerd or a car uh enthusiast like i like to do road trips so i know that that might be this will be one of the first few moments in the coming months where 
it will be easy for me to do like road trips still considered safe and you don't have to take a plane you're still in your own car and uh you decide when you're around strangers if you understand what i mean one thing i really like about street photography is i last time i went to japan in october of 2019 i went to the kawagoe festival which is like this big street festival in kawagoe which is lots of drunk people on the street basically it's great (laughs) um and i had a fantastic time and one of the things i really enjoyed about uh that event is there was an expectation that people were going to have their photo taken because it was an event whereas in japan there's kind of like this i i wouldn't call it a stigma but like basically like you can't really get away taking photos of strangers as much as you would here um like people are very not into having their picture taken without their permission and stuff like that uh Mm -hmm. so being able to do it in the kawagoa festival where it's kind of like well there's like this understanding that because it's an event there's going to be photos being taken i really liked it i also really liked the photos i got out of it because i didn't have that many photos that were that kind of thing and they're some of my favorite photos of all my japan trips and i think it's a really cool style but like for someone like me who is who who tends to not create opportunities to get hated on by other people uh (laughs) having like the permission the implicit permission because it's an event to be able to do that was really cool uh and i i wish i could do more of it it's just like right now that doesn't seem very viable um the other thing that you said it was about like uh photo walks and uh communities and stuff like that and i was reminded of a old Flickr group that i was in called osampo camera which was basically a virtual photo walk where there were all these different threads for different like themes so you would go on a walk in a neighborhood or whatever and you could post your photo in the thread for that theme and people give feedback specifically on your photos um but like you could choose whatever theme you felt like at that day and it was just like this sort of ongoing virtual photo walk which was really really cool and like the group has been dead for years on Flickr, but it used to be like one of the most active groups and it's uh, we we come back to the good old uh evergreen theme here on the show which is why did Flickr, Flickr is have dead? to die okay <laughs> oh, yes yes i was about to make a bad joke that's like oh no we're talking about Flickr again and it's dead so uh the other thing is i know you're kind of behind on podcasts like you seem actually like maybe a month and a half behind on the talk show or something like that uh give it a month uh and i know what you're talking about because yeah. it is literally the next episode so you want to talk uh, about the glass app right right well i haven't installed it yet but i thought like oh a lot of the stuff on that episode is going to appeal to you probably if you're into that hmm. kind of stuff okay uh it's literally i need to finish listening to connected 389 and it's the next episode in my queue so yes you're correct i'm about uh a month uh off in my queue uh you are making great points and it's funny that you mention festival and things because one of the events that i took i made the conscious and say okay we're going to this event uh so uh in early march uh yes it was during spring break so we had my nephew and we wanted to go into uh montreal en lumière which is more or less a, a nightly festival uh in montreal where there's a lot of activities downtown and lots of lights um and yeah so it was kind of like okay this is another thing i'm going to have with tony and my nephew so it's a good opportunity to get pictures and to uh it to your point about like 
making f- your feel yourself a bit more comfortable if you're less used to street photography, uh, where people are in a place where they are, might have more assumption that picture will be taken. So if they're in the frame, they won't feel too bad or too self-conscious. And you also might not be feeling too much self-conscious about that. So I still, this is one thing that that's why I was looking for those photo walks. Uh, because you might end up looking like the group of tourists, even if you're not really tourists, but people might have an assumption that if you're near you, you might end up, you might end <laughs> up in their pictures. Because if I were to do that by myself in my neighborhood, I would still feel, uh, I guess self-conscious. And I think it's something that, uh, a lot of photographers are saying that the more you do, the more self, less, the less self-conscious you are at. But, uh, it's something I haven't done enough yet. And another thing I want to quickly mention is one of the things that I especially like about that festival is that it gave me a rare chance to have DSLR, well, not DSLR, mirrorless photos of my friends, because usually we're always like indoors in locations that would be kind of awkward to use uh, my mirrorless camera in. And now since we were outdoors at night, I have like these great low light photos of my friends and I hanging out and it's just like uh, especially like with the timing a couple months before the pandemic like I value those photos a lot more than I would have otherwise let's just say that Mm -hmm. no uh, I feel you on this I really strongly feel you on this so to go back about one type of photo walk event like street photography was one of them that I really wanted to attend and even booked and got canceled and got canceled, sadly, because of low attendance. Um, so yeah, one thing I learned in the past six months, which we're in the mix of the sixth wave again in Quebec. Good for us. We had good moments. We had not so good moments, but, uh, look forward to our next episode, which will be about the subject. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, I, I had written my notes and I'll say it this way, like, Group lessons, photo walk are a bit hard, uh, during pandemic time. Uh, but I-, I think today still they feel like a great excuse to get more often. And I- I've done like part of the events I want to come through today about what have I done to try to kind of force myself to do more is some of them is like one night I just want to walk and I was like, the camera comes with me. And even if it's, it's like my stand outside. Like the camera comes with me and we'll take pictures of random stuff. And it's funny because following the multiple cancellation and I have nothing against the place I did the lessons. Like they are also struggling to get those lessons back going because of pandemic. Uh, but they had a great discount into, uh, they had a great two for one for private lessons. And I was like, at that point I have created at the store, uh, where they offer private lessons. So why not use that? And, Oh my goodness. Um, it was really enlightening because what I tell the instructor was like, so like you pay for an hour, you pay for two hours. Um, and I've done two lessons. So one in January, one in February. I was planning to do one in March, but the instructor was like, Hey, you know what? Like you seem to have, it's been not hard, but he saw that, you know, Trying to fit photographic events in my life is not uh, something that could happen uh, monthly. So he was saying, you know what? Like, don't worry. Like, if you come see me in two months, like, don't fret about it, but like, make sure that you bring a lot of pictures. And if that was one of the elements I really enjoy about the way this place runs their private lessons is uh, twofold. If you book two hours, you can just have 
a private walk tour with the instructor like even if uh that particular story is in the middle of a shopping mall uh or a power center that like they call where have multiple God, I hate those. yes but the instructor was saying you know what it's not perfect it's not vieux montreal for example but it gives you the shit ton of people and has shit ton of streets so you we can recreate an environment of uh, street photography here and the story is close enough to different types of what they would do as group events so that if you book two hours we can do 30 minutes of just catching up with the pictures and talking about some of the mistakes some of the pictures you took since your last lesson or since your last class and that you struggled and you want tips and opinion about that and that i really enjoyed like when we did it it was super fun so first lesson was more or less me like let's go back to the basis I want, like, assume I'm, I'm dumb. I'm a newbie in photography and I want to get better. Even if you start to realize that, you know, I know some of the verbiage. I know some of those. Like, I really want to back to go, to go, to go back to the basics and build my knowledge. And I think the first hour was a, a brain dump. Like, it was going at it talking about the triangle with ISO aperture uh, and all that fun stuff. It was good to refresh, and that's literally what I was looking for. And that, that's why I'm, I think, in all the things I've tried in the last six months, ignoring just trying to put myself into more events, uh, spending the money to uh, do some private lessons, uh, I've been really, really enlightening because I've, I've learned a lot, and it started to, and I'm, far away to be there yet but it started to kind of realign some of the knowledge i had and a, a good example i can talk to you about uh is the hyperfocal distance like i've been going a bit crazy about like depth of feel and all that fun stuff and all the distance and relationship uh, and all not the, the math itself but trying to understand more or less how to put things in focus and not in focus because a lot of what I've realized, and it will sound again like I'm doing a video moment part two, uh, is automatic uh, frame, not automatic framing. Autofocus is amazing. Don't get me wrong. But people, like we all have come a bit lazy about that. And hear me out for a sec. Uh, we were talking about older cameras because the, 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 the instructor at the photography store has been doing photography for the last like, 30, 35 years. And he all, he's kind of like going back into, uh, I only have the French word for this, but old style photography with paper and everything and film. Uh, yeah, so film. Analog. Yeah, thank you. They, they have a fancy word in French that they use. So that's, I guess that's why I'm, I've been uh, thrown off. But film photography and analog photography. But he was showing me old lenses and it's like, oh yeah, like if you put your aperture at the right f-stop, and you start to move your focus ring, it will tell you, okay, like, if your subject is at 8 meters, it's going to be in focus. And I'm like, there is a scale on the lens telling me the distance from the camera to my subject that is 100% sure in focus per the aperture. It's like, why don't we have that in the camera? It's like, he, And then, of course, he's like, okay, noob, you're you're saying this, <laughs> and I know which settings to enable on your camera to do blah, 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 blah. But more or less, after showing me some of those settings, um, he was also telling me, you know what? Like People came, like are used to autofocus. 
you have pressed the shutter button, it focuses where the point on the screen you decided you want your focus point to be, and then boom, it does the job. But what I realized is sometimes I would try to do that. I'm like, why is it not focusing? Because the camera's telling me, hey, you put me in a situation where I am not able to do that job automatically because maybe I'm missing light or, or, or subject is too close to the lens, things like that. But now I'm slowly but surely understanding, like, okay, yeah, if I try to force the camera to be in an environment or in a situation that they won't be able to handle because it might be hard to handle or impossible to handle, I start to better understand that. And those might sound like base foundation. And that is things that by just learning, by trying, I did not fully process it. It's not fully ingrained in my skills. And that after literally three hours, like uh, it's not big, but the two times I went out of those lessons, I was like just flabbergasted about a lot of things that just clicked. It was like, literally, I am like jaw drop in the front of the instructor, and he's like, "What?" It's like, it like this concept just clicked. And to go back to my example about talking about uh, focal distance and hyperfocal and things like that, like it's not fully, like fully processed in my brain that, but it is something I want to continue working on because like there, the teacher was giving me a lot of, like. We were talking about a lot of different uh, environment and different things you were thrown at and the relationship between your focus, uh, your zoom distance and the focus and things like that. And I was like, oh, okay, it starts to explain. It starts to, like, I start to get more of this innate sense that I see photographers that have been doing that for 10, 15 years, 20 years. That's just like, they know what they want to do. They know how to translate in the camera. And that's what I want to get better at. It's interesting how you describe like the the things clicking in your mind and all that because it's it's reminding me a lot of learning fighting games, which is an okay. interesting parallel. Um, yeah, because photography, like fighting games, there's sort of like two aspects to it. There's sort of the uh, the feel of the photo you take with the camera, and like like sometimes I, I I'm this kind of person where like I just look at a situation and I'm like oh yeah, this will make a great photo and I can just frame it and not by really doing any kind of theoretical work, just by thinking and looking at what I'm feeling. I can just Mm -hmm. be like, this is a great shot, take it, and it's a great shot, you know? Mm -hmm. And then there's like sort of what you're describing, which is a more theoretical, analytical aspect of it, which is like, hey, I understand all the ratios and all the math and (laughs) stuff, and I can mathematically determine that this is going to look great sometimes the flip side this is not always true of course but sometimes the flip side to that is you're great at doing the math and then you take shitty photos because you don't have a good sense for what a good photo is and that kind of just sucks and you sort of have to find the harmony of both right fighting games are basically the same thing especially like anime fighting games like blaze blue which is the one i mainly play which is like you have basically like 35 40 theoretical concepts in the game that you basically have to master to be able to like formulate like the correct thing you should be doing in every situation or you can just press buttons which is what i do and Mm -hmm. just like not mash buttons because that's a different thing that's like not doing anything but just like 
do what you feel is right in the moment and don't worry so much about the theory. And I think like that is kind of my attitude for both photography and fighting games. And it's limiting me a lot more in fighting games because I'm not as good at them <laughs> as I am in <laughs> photography. Um, but I, I find that fascinating that it's basically like the same sort of learning process is just applied to something that gives you something you can actually show someone instead of just like, I played 800 games on the rank ladder and I still suck. It's like, yeah, not really going anywhere, but I just thought it was funny to see the parallels. Your thoughts tonight, um, I shouldn't say tonight because I'm flabbergasted on point you are tonight uh, because it's funny that you said that it's funny that you say that, that I'm kind of looking at the more theoretical, the practice. And the main reason, and I recall a clear interaction when I was going through pictures. And again, I really enjoyed the teacher there, uh, the instructor. So I know there's an aspect of that, but part of where we were just, the part where in the end, so when I went and we were supposed, I I booked two hours and we were supposed to go out because I booked two hours, but I arrived at the store where the, the the lessons are, it starts like huge snowstorm. And I wake up the same morning, I was like, oh no, there's a snowstorm in Montreal. And it's on the, it's, uh, it's in, uh, in the South Shore here. Um, and I was like, okay, like around noon, my, I think my class was at one. Sky is clearing up, cross the St. Lawrence River, poof, snowstorm restarts. And I'm like, oh crap. <laughs> so uh, the TLDR for this is the teacher was like, oh, you know what? Like, I know you booked two hours, you wanted to go out. And I was like, you know what? I'm equipped. Like I, I paid, you know what, like I bought my suit, my, my snow pants. If you want to go out, we can go out. If we want to stay inside, I don't mind, but I'm ready for everything. So the chair was like, you know what, if you want to do one hour, well, let's do one hour. But it was so fun that we spent, I think, 45 minutes just looking at some of my recent pictures. Uh, as I mentioned, I did a family wedding. I'm not a photographer. I did tell my uh, mother-in-law that like, I don't mind taking pictures, but don't expect like perfect photography mm. wedding pictures, you know, like it was more kind of, a, uh, I think it was more journalistic, you know, like I wanted to capture the vibe of the event, people having fun. And yes, typical cliche of the wedding. Yes. But overall, I think what happened is more or less making sure that it is remembered as a nice event and also capturing the vibe of the event so that when you look at the pictures, uh, you see the vibe, but uh, I digress because I want to, don't talk too, too much about it. There's other points I want to mention a bit later. Uh, but in the end, we start to look at those pictures, but we also looked at older pictures. And I showed one of the two pictures that was the first time I ever held a DSLR. <laughs> and I always remember like this moment. It was a weekend with friends. My friend, she just bought a Nikon D5 5000 like I just, like I did. I bought one because of her, more or less. Um, and there are pictures still to this day that I, like, I, they bring back the fun and the emotion we had. And, like, mm-hmm. they connect to those feelings that what I liked about photography. Because even if it's a 2D thing, like, you're so much able to capture emotion and moments. Mm-hmm. And I was showing those pictures, one of Tony, one of our friend uh, Roxanne that you also know. Yes. And I was telling to the instructor... Those are amazing. You can, you might not believe they are, but I do believe they do. If you put me again in this situation and you ask me to take the picture, I'll be fucked. Literally. <laughs> because it's like what you said. It's click, 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 click. And then that came out. 
Yeah. So the reason I kind of focus on the more boring side, because I agree, like the theory is a bit boring and it's not artful. That's why I say boring. It's not artful as I want it to be. Note, I I did not say the theory is boring. I I just said (laughs) I prefer not to focus on it. (laughs) Okay, fair, fair. I'm putting words in the mouth. But what I'm trying to say is I kind of start to want to have some of those technique shortcuts in my head. Say, hey, remember last time you took this style of pictures? If you do this aperture at like 4, F4, and you put your subject at, let's say, 3, 4, 5 meters in front of you, you'll have a good bouquet, you'll have a, you make sure you have good lighting, and then you'll be able to capture similar emotions, similar feelings. And I kind of want to start building those, I call them shortcuts, like those templates in my mind that's, okay, yes, I remember I've enjoyed that style of expression, that artsy effect, uh, whatever you want to call it. And I want to start building that because sometimes I see a situation where I want to capture the moment. I want to capture the vibe if we use uh, <laughs> our fun words from last, uh, from the GT episode. And I struggle, like I see it, but I struggle to capture it. The, I, I struggle to see the right way, but let's say the right way or the way I want it to be captured. And that's why I kind of go back a bit into the more like, Tell me what to do, side. Like, what should I do to do X? What should I do to do Y? And it's kind of funny because in the end, what it led to is the teacher is totally upfront. The instructor is like, if you master this, then you'll go to the next step and you'll try to fuck it up. And you should. You should try to not follow what theory says about how to make a great picture. Mm-hmm. And then that's where art comes in. Literally, it's like, like, art is that. It's not to follow rules. It's just let it loose and try things. And that's kind of where I realized in the past five, six years, even before uh, this last six months, is like where I struggle with. And yeah, so again. Um, okay, so there, there's a photo blog. Well, it's not really just a photo blog. It's a, I, I read this film photography blog, which is strange because I don't do film photography, but it's called 35MMC. It's about 35 millimeter compact cameras. And uh, whoa, wait, are you kidding me? You're talking about 35MMC for reals? I didn't know you've read that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I was, again, I was reading, I wanted to know the proper definitions of Rangefinder, spoiler alert. Oh, okay. And I, I started to read a long article about Rangefinders on 35MMC. Yeah, it, and it's, 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 I'm looking at it, so that's it's funny. a great blog. But um, I, I love that blog because there's so many different examples of like film photography, and I think film photography is interesting because you were sort of stuck with the photos you got. You couldn't really you can correct them, or you ha- only had a limited opportunity to correct them with the film you had, and therefore a lot of the times you had to give up if you wanted to take other photos uh, later, <laughs> uh, unless you're like carrying a briefcase of film or whatever um but uh, i love that blog and one of like the photos that are often the most impressive to me are like just a bunch of friends hanging out and they're just taking photos with their film camera and some of them turn out like absolute shit but it's the (laughs) mood that it captured that is the most interesting thing and it 100 captured the mood in the moment even if the photo is by objective terms shitty right Mm -hmm. and i think that's like i've 
read this blog for years and I've sort of always sort of internalized that. And that I think that's kind of where my personal photo philosophy came from of like, like mostly leaving the camera on P and not really caring about the theory so much is that when I am taking a photo, I'm trying to take a photo of the moment and I am not trying to make an artful rendition of the moment because then you're losing the moment as you're trying to capture the moment. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think, like, of course, like, g- good photographers, they're going to know the theory, they're going to have internalized it and be able to, like, snap judgment, be able to, like, snap in those settings. I literally just want to hold down the shutter and hold the camera <laughs> in about the right place. And, like, that's about all the work I can do. And then the size of the sensor is, like, the main metric for me. And I know, like, that's going to be blasphemy for a whole bunch of people. But I think, like, if you look at my photos, you can't really complain a lot of the time that, that like, a lot of people can't tell that I'm on P oh, when I take my photos. No, no. And I think, like, that's part of the thing. And I think if you spend all your time in P, you get to know, like, what are the advantages? Like, what is it good at handling? What is it bad at handling? How can I put myself in situations where I know that P is going to take the correct decision for my uh, for my photo? And, like... It's an entire metagame, and I think that's kind of funny. Uh, but that that's kind of my mentality is literally like, I just want to take photos. I don't want to work. And <laughs> uh, a lot of the work that I do when I take my photos is just like l- looking at what I'm seeing, thinking about framing, and thinking about how light is going to be interpreted by the camera. And that is like more or less everything I do. And I think right. there is place for the rest of the theory. But like for again, going to fighting games, like I, I know what the basic game plan of my photo that I'm trying to take is. And I'm comfortable with sticking to that game plan until it stops working for me. And right now it's working <laughs> for me. <laughs> yeah, no, you're, yeah, it's good. It's good. And I don't, I don't think you should downplay too much your technique because I've seen a lot of your your trip pictures uh and i think i think one of the recent compliment i gave you was during some of the sejura uh, uh tour guide episodes uh we show we see your uh desktop wallpaper and i was like is that one of your pictures because yeah. if it is it's like amazing and you're like yeah it is. i it love is. that one it's so uh, there, there are so many of my japan photos that like I got lucky the first year and those were the best photos I've ever taken in <laughs> Japan. And it's like, well, shit. Yeah. No, I, I feel you. And I've seen a lot of them and a lot of them are at night and in the kind of light style I really enjoy of night pictures mm-hmm. and night photography. And yeah, uh, it's something I still uh, struggle with and I want to get better at. So again, I know all of this. I know theory is a way for me to just practice more and learn more about it i've talked about events uh and i'm trying to think more openly that you know nowadays okay yes the family wedding like you know like it was funny because i had two cameras again spoilers um and i kind of somewhat looked like a photographer with two cameras and it was kind of a bit <laughs> crazy but uh, it was yet again another harsh environment like it was in a place i was like not poorly well lit and trying to work with the light i had was quite fun and sometimes quite frustrating but i digress i had quite a lot of fun and a few moments i made sure like i brought my uh, camera to my nephew's like birthday party and small activities like this oh we went out on a walk uh with friends again like an 
like a winter event or things like that. I'll try to make sure that I bring the camera more often with me so that I can practice more. And even sometimes what I mean by practice more is do what you just said is take pictures randomly, try to frame things and just hold the shutter button and figure out what happens. Spray and pray. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, kind of. So, so yeah. So while I wished I had, so to kind of conclude the private lessons, I think this is a raging success. People are many making money on my, uh, uh, because of me, I guess that's good. So good too for them. But I think, uh, the amount of money I invested versus buying a camera. Let's let's not forget the <laughs> thesis of all of this was in episode one sixty nine. I wanted to buy a new camera, and I was like, "Yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm not afraid for camera. the end of this episode." <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that's coming. That's coming. Oh, no. But but yes. So I hope though that um, no, excuse me, not that hope. So for private lessons, I know I'm. I was thinking like you know what, like month of March kind of went and came came and gone, and I was like, oh yeah. I should book on the one because kind of miss it. Like, um, like it was good to have that as kind of a monthly thing in my calendar and a funny activity to talk. And it was kind of a constant reminder of maybe today uh, I should not be lazy and watch videos on YouTube videos or just be on my cell phone, like watching social network and like just scrolling and do something. Uh, and one of those things could be just find an occasion to take pictures. Okie dokie. Uh, next up is uh, photo organization. And this is the one that didn't make that much progress. I won't <laughs> lie. It was not the main focus of the last six months either. So I still suck at it. I'm still lazy. But two things. Uh, I got rid of a couple of uh, other apps I used to enjoy. Um, one of them was called Best Photo. And the developers decided to stop developing it sadly when i kind of started to have a renewed uh, focus uh, to help with photo management uh, and also it was fun because it was quite good at using the sd or the like files app feature to import your photos inside that app or pass them through the app make them in the right album geotag them and things like that before importing it in photos.app so that was a feature i really enjoyed but uh, the app is getting stopped, developed, so I don't want to spend too much time on it either because, hey, if I find a bug, I cannot bug the developer no more, sadly. Uh, I Because I had to import a lot of pictures, uh, also uh, I realized that I was 15 photos that app. While the, it is not the big redesign that people are expecting for for the last few years, uh, it is getting slow but steady small things improvement. So while you don't get what Best Photo used to do where you can import in an album and also change some of the metadata, it at least now allows you to import pictures in an album. And I think I say now, but I think it's been maybe two or three OS releases, but before I was using Best Photo for that. So uh, it was fun to see that. And again, big features in iOS 15. And I'm super happy that I was using other apps to do change date and time on a picture, geotag photos and geotag multiple photos all at once. It's now an action in the share sheet. No need for an external uh, app to do so uh, is pretty fun. Last up on photo organization, I tried to keep up on Gemini, uh, which is a Yannick, one of Yannick's favorites. Um, 
I did and I didn't. So uh, <laughs> after recording last epi- like episode 169, I did spend some time on it, trying to figure out why the notification didn't work and just stop. They just start magically working. Uh, but for a lot of time, I started to ignore them. But I, what I figured out is it is a good kind of like... It is a, using Gemini to just clean up your photo library is a good... I am in the bed and I need to kind of spend like maybe 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes just to really cool down before really going to sleep. Uh, I've started to do that in the past few days and I did that also last month and a couple of moments where I was a bit more stressed and it was a real fun kind of cool down exercise at the end of the day that is not again scrolling through Twitter and all other social network uh, and I really like their swipe gesture like they turn the like uh, interface but it's like up down to more or less quickly clean up your photo library uh, so Gemini I was about to say 2, but I don't think it's Gemini 2 on iOS. It's just Gemini, but uh, Gemini 2 also exists on the Mac. Uh, no experience with Gemini 2, but Gemini on iOS uh, seems kind of-ish, dead-ish. It's still working. It seems to seem update. doesn't seem to see that much new updates and big features, though. Uh, but still a strong recommendation in my book. I wish they'd support landscape on iPad. That's the main thing it's missing for me. Agreed. It is portrait only on all devices and it's kind of meh. I, I it seems to be a decision that poorly age even on iPad. So totally agree on that. Okay. Are you ready for the last section, Inik? Hardware? Yes. Uh oh. <laughs> so you do remember that the main reason we had an episode six months ago was I discovered the Fujifilm X100V. Yes. And after releasing this episode, you kind of click that your dad owned one of the previous generation of the Fujifilm uh, X100. Yes. And your dad, as kind as he is at, with just my photo journey in the last 10, 15 years, he was like, hey, Luco. Do you want to borrow it? Let's just say it was hard to say no. <laughs> so I kind of want to first say start the section by saying like thank you to Jean Pierre uh, for uh, lending me his camera and to be honest, lending it to me for the last six months. Still next to me here in my office. Uh, the plan is by the end of the month or next time I go back in town to drop it at uh, your parents' place. Uh, but for sure, uh, lending camera for six months is. Uh, Really great gift, and I'm pretty happy about that. So uh, the section you are you have been waiting for for a long time, Yannick, and I know your dad too. Uh, he's kind of asked me a couple of times, like, "What do you think about this?" Like, "Yeah, you'll see, you'll see." <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but yes, so remember one of the main issues I had with my D500, which is a typically sized DSLR, was in the past recent, in the recent years, I was saying it was big. Uh, so the Fujifilm X100S is completely different. It's a mirrorless camera. It's tiny. Uh, it doesn't have internet, internet, interchangeable lenses. Excuse me. Uh, it is also my first time using a rangefinder camera, um, which is kind of funny because I do did mention that I suck at manually focusing photos, and rangefinder by definition are great. Uh, 
cameras to always manually focus them. So I am was slowly dabbling into that world, but again, I still suck at it. But uh, the X100S had great tools that I discovered because of the instructor about uh, the uh, focus meter and uh, the uh, in-lens, oh no, the in in the eye sensor or the eye the eye the digital eye viewer i forgot the exact name uh, electronic viewfinder thank you uh and also in the camera so in, in the electronic viewfinder and in the camera screen you can have a kind of a loop that just zooms to make sure that your subject is in focus so it's like there are to go back to what i was saying about all lenses telling you like if you're at eight meters of your subject at f4 then everything is in focus because it's a scale drawn on the lens and on the the focus ring uh for sure now digitally speaking there are tools like this um it was funny how it was quick to adapt to all the controls on the device there it has a lot of physical controls to uh, change the shutter speed for sure change the aperture aperture it's another ring on the lens versus just playing with the menu so those settings those control that you might change a bit more frequently is fun to have real buttons with it and i know that the my nikon is not a prosumer not it's not a, it's kind of a i'd say a consumer grade dslr so a lot of what I'm saying about those controls might sound weird if you've owned more prosumer or pro-grade DSLRs or pro-grade cameras because a lot of them have just a shit ton of buttons or shit tons of uh, of controls to more or less set that without using a menu. But again, while there was that, I did feel that the, all the time that you have to use a D-pad and the, I'll say the kind of the scroll ring around the d-pad is less than ideal uh in the x100s which means that you also you need to use it when you use automatic auto autofocus and automatic the uh the focus points excuse me uh because moving them there's a lot of there's more focus ones than on my e500 which is quite funny uh but moving them quickly when you just want to uh do your shot uh i've got pretty good at doing that with my d500 uh and i felt that the d-pad not it's not less reactive but felt a bit strange and i figure out a quick way to change it is to kind of scroll using the the scroll ring around the d-pad but still not perfect to my liking and again while we're on the subject on autofocus um knowing that the fujifilm camera is three years four years newer than my nikon i was kind of disappointed that its autofocus speed is pretty slow in a lot of situation even in like broad daylight i've seen moments where i would struggle to focus quick and i'm not sure i have again limited experience with rangefinder cameras and it's been more than one that would have autofocus and that would allow you to uh, or assumes that you might use just that and not do the job yourself uh but it kind of left me hanging it a bit knowing that again I, I suck at manually focusing photos i also want to just jump in and say that in regards to mirrorless it's still a fairly early mirrorless camera in, in great in the grand scheme of things and like mm-hmm. mirrorless autofocus hasn't really wasn't really that great until maybe five years ago mm, i see 
like even my uh nex3 well my nex3 is like one of the first big mirrorless cameras anyway so right. it's kind of cheating but uh <laughs> autofocus is, has not been great on sony until like the until they renamed to basically alpha right yeah yeah i remember that so but again and it was funny because when i bought my nikon dslr it was when mirrorless cameras were like going slowly but truly gaining in popularity because yeah. again like it, like we mentioned multiple times throughout our uh photography episodes you bought yours maybe a year after i bought my nikon dslr and like a year after they were like super uber popular everywhere uh well everywhere in the f- photo landscape <laughs> let's put it this way uh uh at that point, uh, still like getting a dedicated camera is still for the people that really want to take photogra- uh, pictures and not uh, for everybody and nobody. But the if. the nuance is that I think a lot of people in the mirrorless business were underestimating how uh, underestimating the market for mirrorless, and that's why they were selling it sort of as a prosumer thing between right. Uh, point and shoots and SLRs, and they were like, "Well, if you want just better photos, but you don't want all the bulk of an SLR, you can buy this." And Sony, hey, that's me. Yeah, Sony very quickly realized, "Oh fuck, these are just almost better than an SLR in every single way. We need to go up market with this." And they sort of like left that behind, and prices went up, <laughs> and they sort of forgot about APS-C for the last five years. And I'm not sure when I can buy an upgrade for my camera. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. Um and again, I think all your points are valid, uh, but I won't lie, I kind of forgot that you're right that it's kind of early mirrorless and that I should have been expected by uh, expecting it, but uh to me it was something that surprised me still and I know that more recent uh X100 cameras have improved greatly, like I guess like you were saying, most of the mirrorless market. Uh, but yeah, that was kind of the, one of my main love. I like this camera, but uh, AF is slow. It was kind of what I would say uh, recently. The other thing I've been used to, and I'm sorry in advance, like Uh-oh. I never bought two batteries for my Nikon oh. DSLR, ever. <laughs> like I know you shouldn't do that. I went to like my six months exchange program in sweden where i did a lot of trips part of being in sweden always had one battery and it's still the same one like it's what at this point like 12 years old still rocking super super great like i have still have great i still have great battery life it's not a sony so that's why (laughs) yeah but yet again since it is my first experience with mirrorless and that was like when i realized that battery life was not so great uh it's it's, i think it's okay i'm not and i say not so great but again i come from the dslr world like that's my experience where you don't have that much screens light up all Mm -hmm. the time whereas a mirrorless you have the back screen or uh, especially in the uh and i guess it's popular for uh, their mirrorless cameras that you would have an eye sensor that would detect that if you're looking through the electronic viewfinder it just switched to it. But the electronic viewfinder has two modes. It has the modes where it's just you see through the viewfinder and it's not the frame of the lens, but it's off offset because, again, no mirror. I don't want to go to that much details, but it doesn't give you the 
it gives you a different field of view because you're not looking through the lens. Uh, and this one has a mode where you could see, like it could replace that with the full on screen in the electric viewfinder to show you what the lens sees. Uh, so yeah, so I understand why when your dad left me with his camera case, there I was like, why is there three batteries? I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, after, I think the during the wedding, that was the other camera I had with me, so the this range fuji rangefinder and i had my icon dslr with my big 50 to 200 millimeters lens so i was like okay i have a wide lens prime that's good and then the other one is if i want to zoom or do portrait at a distance uh that would be uh that other lens so that was a good comparison to a good moment and that's funny because that happened literally two hours after i picked up the camera so it was kind of fun to just be thrown in an event with a camera that i didn't know and guess what it went well like i was like i think it's a great compliment to how easy it is to use that somebody that has experience with dslr or other mirrorless that you can just give it this one and then you figure it out and then you can be pretty pro-efficient with it uh quickly so yeah um it's going back um i don't know exactly when depending on my schedule uh but possibly i guess i kind of announce again i need to text your dad but uh uh we're planning like i'm planning to go see my family for easter so i'll uh, try to make sure if it fits uh with everybody's schedule but worst case scenario like in maybe a week or two i'll be dropping it at your dad's place um and yeah i really enjoyed this camera um i think i'll kind of miss it yannick and that's <laughs> where it's sad uh-huh uh so what are you buying <laughs> nothing that's oh. also the surprising thing while i think i'll miss it i think i need to experience more things that, that, that and that kind of goes back to where i left things in the last episode is I'm super grateful to add this luxury of saying like, hey, thank you, Jean-Pierre. Here's your camera back. I didn't like it. And like, even if it's a friend that asks for money because they make money with it, and like, I wouldn't care, you know? Like, I left six months ago saying, before I do a next big purchase in this category, I kind of want to try different experiences. And this one was a great one, but... That's maybe what the surprise is. Uh, I kind of want to get more different experiences. Like, not saying I want to buy full frame, but I kind of want to experience it to be like, you know what? It's too expensive for my needs because, like, it doesn't do it. But at least I can say, you know what? I've tried it. So if we move slowly but surely to what's next for me, uh, I kind of kind of want to continue looking at where can I borrow more hardware, whether it's like from friends and family, or maybe paying for a week, say, okay, you know what, I'm renting a camera. Related, and again, that's more of a I think I'll say thumbs up to Gus Lane. They kind of updated their website and on the website, you now fully see what they have in stock at a particular moment. Or also going back to the private lesson slash uh, photo walks, they now give you the exact dates. It's not just a PDF on their website that people seem to never read. So uh, at least when you go to their transactional websites, like, oh, you want to book the street walk or the street photography walk, then the next one is on May 15th. Might not be true, but you understand what I mean. Like, so it's clear in your face when you book it that it's at that time. So 
my hope is, yeah, is in the next, let's say, a couple months, like, the warm season is coming soon here. It's starting to get warm here, so it will, it's gonna be more easy, it's gonna be easier to get more time and more of those events I was talking earlier where I can just bring my camera. Like car season is starting again. Uh, and I want to attend car shows. I want to attend car events. So yet again, other, it's funny where I'm like super eager to go do car events and do car meetups and things like that. But I'm like, Oh, it's going to be a photography moment. Like I go, I will be able to bring my cameras, try to have fun by looking at nice cars, enjoying people and also taking nice pictures. So it's kind of for me that now I look forward moments coming in my day to day life where I could transform some activities and making sure they have a photography element to it. Uh, so I think that's a nice change that with this renewed focus on photography over the last six months, kind of I'm looking forward certain things in that other fashion too. And yeah, um, so to go back to why I was asking about Japan still being closed for shipping things, I'm uh-huh. surprised you didn't remind me. Yeah, I So forgot. while I am not getting a new camera, I was tempted of getting a new lens. Okay. And I was tempted to say like, okay, maybe it's time for me to just get, uh, if I enjoy a prime lens on a camera like the X100, maybe it's time that I should spend a bit of money on, um, on a prime lens. So I didn't buy anything, but again, I was looking at the typical middle range. (laughs) 51.4. Uh no, it would be it's thirty five millimeter, but with my crop factor will be like fifty to five. Right, right. But the typical like Nikon, uh, Nikon, Nikkor, Nikkor, yeah, and Nikkor, like yeah. Thank you. So the typical DX, uh, f- like sensor size, uh, prime lens, and I don't want to buy new because again, like this lens has been out for like the last 10 years. So, uh, so yes, I was shopping on eBay and I was saying like, Hey, there's one from Japan and it could be here in two weeks. That's strange. Doesn't fit with what Yannick says, uh, that, uh, things, when you buy things from Japan, uh, only nothing uh, on eBay, but in generally that I know that, uh, you said that Japan post was closed. So I was surprised to see like dates from Japanese seller on eBay saying it could be at your doorstep in two weeks. Yeah. Uh, so I think th- Part of the thing is not all sellers seem to be aware of the situation with Japan Post. So if they're sending it by Japan Post and they mention it in their post, uh, currently the only things you can send with Japan Post are letters. So uh, it's just not going to get there at all. Uh, So Mm. be very careful. It has to ship basically by DHL or FedEx or something. Otherwise, you're not going to get it. Yeah, yeah. So again, um, I haven't pulled the trigger on anything, but that's where my mind is at right now. Is um, is possibly get a prime lens, and I've been saying that for years. Uh, but kind of one in the next few months, pull the trigger on that. And that one, even new, is like two hundred and sixty dollars Canadian. But mm. I'm like, can I get it for a one fifty? And again, it's like, oh, yes, I could, but plus shipping, plus blah, blah, blah. So it's still like 200. So kind of maybe look at the use ads or things like that. So kind of get a okay deal. I'm not looking to spend too much money, but 
getting a good prime lens and live the life of having a prime lens all the time on my camera. This is where I would channel my inner Marco and say, hey, you work hard. You deserve it. <laughs> Just buy it full price. It's not a huge deal. You can afford it. You're not helping. Huh? You're not helping. <laughs> yes uh, may i remind you that i just bought a car too but yeah oh so, yeah that's true that's so yes so um so yeah so uh th on that front and again i like I i'm looking at the prices of like i shouldn't look at that but like i don't want to spend too much money in that ecosystem not knowing yeah. whether my next camera is still going to be an icon and I'm not even sure if the new Nikon Z cameras will fit with those lenses. Like, I haven't even looked at I that, think to be honest. Technically, you can get adapters for them, but I'm not entirely sure of the details. Right. So that's why I'm kind of looking at, let's try to find a cheap solution to that. It makes and sense, yeah. keep the money into getting more, like keeping a budget for photo walks, for private lessons, or even keeping money to just pay for fuel to go to car events or to go to the proper events from social groups. And yes, I didn't talk too much about social group because I assume that like car, the car season, uh, this is also starting soon-ish uh, because the warm weather is coming back and life is going to go back to somewhat normal because winter is bad. I know you love that winter, Yannick, but it's hard to do activities outside during the winter. So I don't know. I go uh, out more during the winter than I do during the summer. <laughs> Nah. Yes, you're one of those rare people that like winter. I'm and like the inverse uh, seasonal depression people. Yes, 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 you are. So uh, that more or less wraps it up on my six months uh, photography journey update. Uh, I hope you enjoy it. And again, um, I know some of the sections were a bit more like kind of like not rambling, but like my raw thoughts and uh this is hopefully again showing my progress and where i want to go next so again if you have any tips and you have any recommendation of blogs or groups i should follow uh, please feel free to send them my way because i'm kind of looking for that but like i'm always casually looking for that uh so i'm always open to learn something new about photo and for sure if you have a camera you want to lend me i i'll gladly take that too I'm going to preempt some follow-up and say uh, you should put some pictures up somewhere where we can see them because this is a visual medium and yet we're talking about it on a podcast where you can't see them. Yes, yes. That might be part of a future conversation about how to do that in 2022 that is not Instagram, for example. Lol. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, yes. All right. Well, you won't be able to see the photos, but if you want to see our show notes, you can go to <laughs> limitlesspossibility.net slash 181, where you can find all of our previous episodes at limitlesspossibility.net. The show is on Twitter at limipo underscore podcast. That's L-I-M-I-P-O underscore podcast. Or you can find us individually on Twitter. I am at Sakurina. That's S-A-K-U-R-I-N-A. -A, and you can find the Kodivie at Lucanoch, that's L-U-C-C-O-N-O-U-C-H. And you know what? For the lols, I'm interrupting the outro for a sec, but for the lols, I think we should just put a link to our Flickr profiles in oh this week's God. show notes. Okay, sure, why not? <laughs> okay. <laughs> see I don't you in two remember weeks. My... Yeah, see you in two weeks, but I don't even remember my uh, Flickr username, so that's going to be fun. See you in two weeks. <laughs>